0: Hello and welcome again to another episode of Tekawa My interviewees today are a couple working, uh, having a clinic in Vienna, in Austria. They are both renowned and sought after speakers and publishers of uh, multiple articles on avian and exotics medicine. But beside of that, they are also keen scuba divers, they are very interested in conversa- uh, conservation projects and just generally, they are super interesting people. So, welcome to Claudia and Manfred Hoekleitner. Hello. Hello.
1: Hello. Thank you, Wolfgang. Thank you very much for,
0: for, for joining me for this web chat. So, how is life in Vienna at the moment?
2: Uh, It's still quiet because we are still under a lockdown because of of Covid and yes, we will see how it will change. The 19th is the plan to open and the numbers look good, so hopefully.
0: Um, Isn't it so that the shops already have started opening again, sort of in Austria?
1: So, some. The, the grocery stores and uh, apothecaries, they were open, but the fancy shops like Jewel or Jewelry, they were closed. But I think this week they opened.
2: Oh, it's, as we are a very big country, as you know, uh, mm. we have, all the districts have different rules and regulations, so it really sounds full
1: but Vienna Vienna was locked down and 100 meters to our border of our, ho- our house is um, lower austria and the other shops were open but the viennese were not allowed to go there so uh, <laughs> a little bit tricky
0: <laughs> yeah i mean we have the, the same is in germany with the different federal states sort of then mm-hmm. so you just go over the border and the villages where the federal sort of border runs right through the one side of the road you can do this but you can't do it on the other side of the road and so, yes well so how has how has covid affected your work in your clinic you you are uh um, running the uh, Tierklinik Strebersdorf near Vienna. Um, can you give us an idea, how, how big is this clinic? How many vets uh. are working in this clinic? And or how, how big is your team?
1: We, we are um. all together six uh, vets, beside, uh, together with us, and uh, also six technicians. Um, and, well, honestly, when Covid started, our work rose up because the people that were at home, they realized that the animals were sick. They had time to find everything earlier than normal. And we were very busy and we're still very busy, luckily.
0: How how do consultations these days sort of look like in Austria? Um, Are people already allowed back into the clinic or do you uh, collect the animal on the car park or how does that work? (laughs)
2: This is individually uh, done by the veterinarians in Austria. Uh, In our clinic, we decided uh, with the second lockdown, so since November, uh, that we just have a short discussion with the owners, and then send the owners out, so that the time we are together uh, with with strange people is as short as possible, and then we take the animals over. Um, We only make uh, appointments anymore. This we started when uh, COVID started. and we found out, honestly, that for most of the animals, it's much, much better because the animals, as soon as the owner left, uh, the animals are much quieter and much easier to handle. I, at the beginning, I really didn't, I wasn't sure that it will be like this, but it showed that it's much better. And we do it now since half a year because we have half a year lockdown, uh, and it's it's great, honestly. Yeah.
1: And we are, yeah. we don't know how to go on with this because, <laughs> Uh, the technicians and we will like it so much that we want to get rid of the owners in the room (laughs) but yeah you know (laughs) we'll be difficult afterwards
0: yeah 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 no i mean although i mean i have to say i mean some some of the clients were actually very very good letting us getting on with it others yes yeah they were more sort of protective sort okay what 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 do you have to do I just just on Friday I had a couple they brought me a a cat in and then they said okay um, she's a little bit nervous, Mm -hmm. so I said okay that's fine so took the cat with me in the consult room. And I usually do the consultation with cats all on my own so unless I have to check the temperature or something like that, but otherwise sort of and so I just. Opened the basket, then did my did my writing. Sort of the cat was sitting there, quite chilled, sort of. Um, yeah, you, you could tense, sense that the cat was stressed, but nevertheless, so quite chilled. And I I just got on with what I had to do, then checked the cat a little bit, then went over, did something else, then checked the cat again, then did the procedure, gave a couple of injections to the cat, just Carefully, sort of put the cat in. After I weighed the cat back into the basket again, sort of, and then brought back to the owners and said, "Well, no, no problem." And say, what, what, (laughs) what did you do? And so, show us your your hands, man. No bleeding, no scratches. Also, they said they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe that the cat had behaved so well. And understandably, obviously, at home it was a big fight to get the cat in the basket. Yes, I mean the cat is not stupid, the cat knows basket is the safest place, so in the surgery obviously they have a different take on it, but nevertheless it's. I also found it much for much more controllable if the client is usually not around then when I examine the cat just take myself time for the cat examine the cat and if I really need someone and then, then I, I, I call a technician also but. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, they were very surprised that how, how how they they've never seen or that their cat was so well behaved.
1: Yeah.
0: How the how has that affected your consultation times? Uh, did you have to extend them? Because
1: well, in in the beginning of of uh, the uh, COVID lockdown, uh, I um, measured the time and our shortest investigation was two minutes because we also, you know, we we didn't know about testing uh, us and our uh, technicians and the longest is normally 15 minutes, uh, not the surgeries. Uh, I think the consultation time without the owners is much more effective because they don't disturb us. Uh, and, uh, but we still take our time and we make more procedures at the first consultation, because money is an issue So, and we all know a few things uh, heal with one shot. Uh, so uh, at this time we started to making every additional examinations at the first consultations, which we would not have done without COVID. So this has changed a little bit, and we don't want to see the owners often rechecked because we don't want to have the people in. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, makes, that makes sense, sort of. Do you, um, have you started also with teleconsultations or video consultations
2: also? We have a long discussion on this issue uh, within the Austrian Veterinary Chamber, uh, where I'm active uh, as president of Vienna. Uh, and uh, it's it's not, st- most people were not in favor for this. Uh, I know that the future will bring it, uh, even without COVID, this will be the future and we have to uh, change our opinion about this. Uh, but at the moment, uh, it's not legal in Austria. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I just thought um, uh, if they are already your clients and if you, for example, have a post-op check or something like that, so then, possibly that might have its place, especially if you want to uh, 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 reduce the, the the personal interaction, sort of, with the clients or the physical interaction. What
1: what, what some uh, um, clients did, they just sent us some some videos or pictures, and they asked should we come, uh, but uh, the, these occasions were not
2: very often. But I'm sure. I would like, I was in favor for for this new kind of of veterinary medicine of this, and I think we have to deal with it anyway, Uh, but we had a lot of discussion. From the legal part, um, our lawyers and the the board of the veterinary chamber decided it's not legal in Austria. You can do it, and I'm sure some people are doing it already, Uh, some colleagues in Austria, but to advertise it on a legal base, uh, to advertise for owners that they don't have to come, send you a video, or just make a video chat, uh, it's not legal. I mean, who cares, probably, in such a situation. Uh, but mm-hmm. we, the chamber does not recommend it to put it on there again.
0: Yeah. I've, I found, I mean, last year, uh, at the same time last year, we did here in the UK, a lot of video consults. I had sort of half of my consultations were online consultations with clients and we got a dispensation of the normal laws from the Royal Veterinary College that we could for established clients or registered clients also issue prescriptions, repeat prescriptions uh, based on video consultations. But that was really to try to avoid sort of that that people had to come uh, to the clinic. Uptake by the owners was initially very, very good, but now revisiting some clinics, a lot of clinics have dropped it again. They found, yes, it was a phase. Some owners liked it, but in the in the grand scheme of SYNC, uh, it it didn't maintain its place. Hmm. I mean, I'm not saying that this is sort of generally so, it might very well be so that a small fraction of, uh, I mean, what we, all, what we all do, I mean, for, for, for many years, is now that that we have a telephone conversation with a client and they give us a telephone call update, or uh, uh, we report on uh, lab results uh, by phone with the client. So, I see it a little bit just as an extension, possibly, of mm-hmm. that. What was very interesting, though, or, or, or I found sort of quite quite interesting, was that uh, the, uh, over here in the UK, at least, sort of for these video consultations, the practices were charging, and it established the understanding w- with the client that also video consultation or even a telephone consult. Is actually a service you provide, and you, you you should not, or the owners should not expect that something like this is for free. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of these telephone conversations can can easily take ten minutes if you if you talk about, it. and you, you could do a full consultation in oh. that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I absolutely yes. Yeah, interesting. Um, Exotics um, obviously you, you this is this is really a field where uh, uh, a lot of people sort of, uh, uh, like to hear you do your presentations or read your your articles sort of in your day-to-day practice how big is the percentage of avian and exotic patients compared with dogs and cats? Uh-huh.
2: In, in our clinic, it's about 50% uh, each, small animals, and uh, 50% so-called exotics, uh, and within the exotics, when we started uh, in 1992 in our clinic, um, birds were the major part, uh, especially parrots uh, and uh, parakeets, and now with all the legal uh, requirements uh, and We see now less birds, uh, more and more. There's less breeders in Austria. It's a a different generation. The young generation, they are not so much interested in parrots and and breeding these animals. Now we see more and more reptiles and interesting species of reptiles. And we see a lot of small mammals now. uh, uh, which They're not really exotic, uh, but uh, it's, I think now, Small mammals are the main part, then reptiles, and now birds are the smaller school.
1: And it, it's also a seasonal thing because the reptiles they are in hibernation mm-hmm. in winter time. So in winter time, the small mammals they rise, and during summertime, the reptiles come out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, especially in spring, so all these post-hibernation problems, for yeah. example. Mm-hmm. But I always sort of, when, when, when I talk to people sort of about my profession and, and, and say that I'm a veterinary surgeon, one of the first questions you, you have is, ah, oh, what's the strangest animal you have treated? Or, <laughs> so, <laughs> and and, and they, they all think sort of, oh, yes, yeah, we are, I mean, we are, we are treating every day, we are treating crocodiles and sharks or something mm-hmm. like that, sort of. Although I mean, in your case, that, that actually might be the case. <laughs> we see some crocodiles,
1: yeah. Crocodiles.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. we never did, no.
1: No, unfortunately, no.
0: <laughs> I always, I always think, oh, now it gets interesting. If a client comes in with an animal over the back in a sack, or, <laughs> or if there are these sort of big white containers, and you think, okay, what, <laughs> what might be in them? <laughs> Should we leg it yet now? So and then you also have to I, I also have to check sort of with my with my nurses I had some nurses that had uh, uh, some limitations I had, uh, one nurse for example she had a, um, a, a rabbit hair allergy oh. so, uh, she then really uh, well w- w- we also have appointment system so she then had to uh, 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 be some in the back of the clinic or so when when I saw a rabbit Um, But then I had one nurse, she just uh, had a fear of snakes. So it wouldn't be ideal for your clinics
2: then. This is is one of the first questions when somebody, when we look for uh, new technicians uh, and people apply for this uh, position, this is one of the first things that we tell them, okay, you will have to touch reptiles. uh, You will have to catch birds. So being afraid of this species, it's not a good idea. It's better you don't even uh, think about this. and there's a lot of of technicians who like animals and who like to do it but if you start talking about reptiles that's it but then we have the other side i mean in our clinic of our six uh, technicians they're all a little bit crazy same like like (laughs) the veterinarians it's it's, it's a special kind of technicians yeah yeah it's it's also
0: a special kind of client i think Mm -hmm. who has reptiles so they have a they are just—they like to be a bit different. They want to have different animals mm-hmm. around. They have also different ideas of fun. So, I don't know, having having a a, a large python sort of uh, sort of slithering its way through the living room is no no big deal <laughs> for them. Where other people would completely freak out. Yeah. So, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean one one thing is i mean you i know that you two are traveling a lot and and you love traveling uh, i i mean same thing with me i often thought about you and when when i thought about people that probably might have been affected by COVID the most i mean you you guys were somewhere on the top of the list i mean just looking sort of where where you over the last few years have lectured and then in between when i follow your social media uh uh, sort of uh, uh, um, uh, photos and things like that. So there's just so much scuba diving and traveling. I don't know. If Covid was probably a hard nut for you guys, mm, or
2: yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it was really uh, the Different, first yeah. time. Yes, the first time since we're married, mm-hmm. uh, it was the first time that we could not travel for so many months, even a year, uh, and. It's quite strange to be at home for such a long time without meeting people uh, in other countries. And we had, I mean, as you know, all the conferences has been canceled. Uh, We usually make a combination from continuing education and holidays because many of our conferences uh, are in nice places or in places where we have not been before. Uh, Yes, it was a strange and difficult year in the past and hopefully it will change in the near future.
1: But honestly, uh, you know what we do every night? We are different countries every night. Because we, uh, I said to Manfred, we have a big collection of of, uh, pictures. And I said to Manfred, when we are old and we cannot travel anymore, then we are sitting in our living room where you are now with us. And we have a big TV screen and we watch the pictures we've been when we were young. And you know, we do that now.
2: Half an hour, the computer just shows us some pictures uh, of our collections. It's now about 10 10 gigabytes, 10 10 terabytes of of, of pictures. So it's really a lot of pictures, diving pictures, and pictures. As you know, today we have a mobile phone and make pictures, so it's thousands of of pictures. And it's really funny, some parts we don't even know where it comes from. This picture, Uh, so yes, we travel in the evening for 30 minutes. Around the who, globe. Who, who
0: came up with that idea? Was it you, Claudia, or was it you, Manfred? Who, who had that idea? I'm just the curious.
1: Idea, the idea of the old time was mine, but mm-hmm. I think now it
2: was. Then, I think last March when we came <laughs> back from the United States because everything was closed, we just came in time before Austria was closed one, one day before. Uh, and then I was, we still had holiday left. Uh, And so we really were bored as well, because we didn't know what to do. So I started to get all the pictures together. So I think, yes, this was my idea to do it now, during this special time. Mm -hmm.
0: It's it's just, the reason why I'm asking is, I mean, you do, you are in in my... I've met a lot of husband and wife, uh, veterinary surgeon teams that are running a clinic together. But you guys sort of, you do just, you, you, you have similar hobbies, you, um, uh, uh, you travel everywhere together and uh, you're always so positive and I think, wow, how do they do that? I mean, my, my wife is not a veterinarian and although she's also working in, a, a, in the medical field, so there are certain areas where we overlap and where we understand each other. But there, there are other areas where we are very different. And I always think, how do Claudia and Manfred do that? Sort of, what do you have to do as a couple, sort of, to, to well, I don't know, sort of, to not kill each
1: other?
0: <laughs>
2: well, during the day, when we work in the clinic, we have a small place. Our clinic is not really big. But during the working time, it's often that for five, six hours, even if we're only 10 meters away, we don't even speak anything to, because it's just everybody has his own clients and there's no reason to talk to each other. Uh, so yes, we're working together, but this does not mean that we really stick together because we make our own clients. So during the working time, uh, it's we could also be on, on different places. It doesn't make any changes.
1: Well, and uh, we were lucky that we found each other because we, I hope so, <laughs> <laughs> uh because we we both had had long relationships before we met each other and these broke uh, apart and yeah we we were lucky because we yeah. like to swim we like to snorkel we like to dive we like to travel uh-huh. uh we we have similar well i'm more the cat guy a girl and not for this more the dog boy uh but we like the exotics so uh, i think we yeah. We found each other. That's
0: yeah. okay. Good luck. <laughs> touching touching on the scuba diving, how came that about? I mean, okay, oh, well, Austria is not necessarily uh, a place that is uh lends itself. Hans has is one of the I was just about to say, sort of with <laughs> great great exception of Hans Haas, obviously. Hans-Hass, oh. So, oh. honestly. Yeah in Austria
2: we we don't do scuba diving because we don't like the cold water. Uh, We just started during the holidays and again I mean it's nice and today I would love to do it as that time like that time that just to travel to some Maledivian island and be there for one week and doing nothing Uh, but when we were younger we were I was more active and this was not enough so we decided okay let's when we go to nice places we also want to see underwater snorkeling was nice but we wanted to go deeper and just to get involved more with, with animals maybe interactions and so we made it a diving course and from the first time uh going a little bit diving we were really fascinated and then it's starting to be
1: yeah we wanted to learn yeah. more
2: and- and we wanted to make a next course, so we made the advanced course, and we made rescue, and then we made we are now dive instructors, and also uh, teach diving to some students, to friends. Uh, we don't have a diving school. It's to I don't want to make the a, a big school, but uh, to this this once uh, student, it's it's a lot of fun to to teach diving as well, uh, and it's a different world. And for mm-hmm. us, it was also I mean you know it if you are in the practice, you have to talk all the time, and people. Talk to you all the time, and as soon as you are underwater and diving, it's quiet. There's nothing, and you have mm-hmm. one hour where you can focus on on the surrounding. And I think this was at yeah. the beginning one of the most important things. Mm-hmm. And then we started with making pictures and videos and uh, documents, same as we and do f- in our. Yes,
0: very very high quality pictures in, in, in and and videos, and yes the and documents what what did you make the documents for
2: uh, at the beginning just for us and to show our parents and my grandmother when we showed her some of the pictures she said they are so beautiful why you don't do something of these? And I said, okay let's try and uh, we met the german publisher uh, and i showed him some pictures and then he made a coffee table book out of our pictures and but uh, pictures are nice and at the beginning I made pictures and Claudia made videos and we had combinations for uh, our friends and we, we, we cut the presentations, which was very funny, uh, combined it with music, but you can see with the pictures it's it's nice, but most of these animals move. Uh, so the video is more fast, more entertaining. So the next step was that we wanted to make some uh, video presentations and we were lucky that. We found a place where there is a lot of animals which are not <clears throat> very often seen. Uh, and we spend a lot of time there in Indonesia. And so we produced a documentary for the Austrian television, uh, which now is sold worldwide, the Sea of Creepy Monsters. Uh, it's a 45 minutes-
1: uh, Documentation. Documentation,
2: yes, about creatures, small animals and small exotic animals underwater. But that,
0: I mean, but that shows sort of this. Uh, um, as veterinary surgeons, I, I had that. I mean, quite a few of my other interviewees. They they were not only brilliant veterinary surgeons, but they their their attention to detail and also their the professional approach they 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 take. They took often to their hobbies, and then it became not just a hobby. They just exceeded again in another. Uh, skill. I mean, we had, for example, at the Christmas special, we had marcos killi our from Finland, and uh, his uh, 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 his interest is the Aurora Borealis, and he takes, I mean, high end photos of the Aurora Borealis, and was publishing in National Geographic, you know, uh, and b- because sort of he he t- has such an attention for detail, and uh, he. Uh, if, if, he takes it just a little bit further than a lot of other people probably would have taken it. Hmm. I mean, in your case, with the interest in exotics, sort of also, you can read these animals probably much better than other scuba divers, because you understand much more about their physiology and why they might behave this or that way, and why they, although they are look threatening, are unlikely to attack you, whereas if you behave in a different way, mm, you should be a little bit more careful, I don't know.
1: Well, so, well you know that, that we like to dive with sharks. Uh, we did not do that on our own. We got trained by a very good uh, uh, shark expert, by Erich Ritter, a Swiss guy who unfortunately died. Uh, not, and hopefully that, not by
0: a shark bite. No,
1: not, not by, a dog, uh, by a shark, but by heart disease too young for him and he was a little bit older than we are. Uh, and he taught us a lot of by watching the sharks and their behavior and uh, how the situation, being together in the water with them. And that's what we really like, to being together with big animals. We've been with uh, whale sharks, with uh, different kind of uh, whales uh sperm whales humpback whales in the water so we really had the fortune to see also the very big stuff
2: if you if you spend time the, the nice thing is that we had in our clinic our staff is really uh, good our colleagues so that we can spend time somewhere else which is important for this not just jump in stay one hour and go to the next place uh if you have time and try to interact with the animals then the animals start interacting with you. And these are the situations which are really top on of our list. Like, I mean, with sharks it's quite easy that they interact because as soon as food or smell is in, involved, they come closer. But like with I said, with the sperm whales, uh, we had an experience with 20 minutes where the big sperm whale became interested into us. And she followed us, she swam about one or two meters with us, opened her mouth and that's the, biggest predator we have on on earth, Uh, but I mean they're not interested in in humans, but it's just the feeling that you interact and that this animal gets interested into you and interacts with you, this was one of our highlights I think we we had so far. Wow, Wow, I mean talking, but
0: it's not it's not only underwater that you interact with large animals, sort of you also you've also interacted with mountain gorillas. Um, So, uh, how did that come about?
2: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Some time ago, we have been in uh, Rwanda as tourists, and a a colleague told us, John Cooper, he's from Britain, and he's a fascinating uh, guy, and he's all over the world uh, teaching about uh, pathology of, of different species. And he told us that there's a mountain gorilla veterinary uh, clinic in Rwanda, uh, just dealing with the mountain gorillas, the free living mountain gorillas, just if they have a problem uh, that they just monitor them because at that time there have been left 600 mountain gorillas worldwide. Uh, So they are really extincted at that time. Uh, And so, because we know that we fly there and that in these countries, medications are often a problem. Uh, We asked the people, the colleagues there whether they need something, and they needed an ointment for eye ointment because they had a sick uh, baby gorilla, they had to treat. And it was for us the idea, okay, I mean, for us it was easy to bring something, an ointment, an eye ointment, uh, and maybe one of the 600 gorillas would have died because there is no eye ointment, and so we told them that if they need support, we can send it by mail to them. It should be there in one week and we tried it and it's easy. From United States, at that time, it was not possible to post things because they had the, if you remember, after September 11, then they had the antrax, uh, uh problems where people send anthrax in the mail in the United States. So for most it was easy and we decided we support them. And for us, it was important that we don't only support in a country where children die because of eye problems. We have to support both uh, the animals and the humans. Uh, And so our structure Endangered, the nonprofit organization um, started. uh, And we found a lot of friends in Austria and worldwide who supported us. Uh, And we had our ideology was that whatever people donate has to go to the project that we and everybody who helps us gets nothing. So there's not, okay, our travel has been paid and the rest goes to the uh, project. For us, it was important that we pay for our travel. We pay for all our expenses. And if somebody wants to help us, they have to do the same. So we had a 100% donations policy that all goes to the project in Rwanda. And, But on the other hand, you cannot give the mountain gorilla 100 euros you have gone, got, Uh, you have to do something that the people who live there gets better so that they support the mountain gorillas. The only people who can help the gorillas are the people in Rwanda or Uganda where the mountain gorillas are. So, and the funny thing is that 99.9% of the Rwandese people will never see a mountain gorilla because they are in a national park and the people are not allowed to go there. So for them, it's just animals who take their land and so there's a, Kind of problem between mountain gorillas and people in Rwanda and we try to teach them that if they are good to the mountain gorillas we take care for them Um, and it seemed to work a little bit and uh, we supported the uh, hospital uh, human hospital then and we supported we got from the church we got 50 children uh, uh, orphans which we have no children own, and from one day to another we have 50 children to take care of <laughs> mm. so it was a very interesting and uh, yes very interesting time yeah yeah, yeah yeah and yes uh i mean personally as, as i said you cannot support the mountain gorillas you just can try that the living for the people on the border to the national park gets better so that they leave the mountain gorillas alone and that they take Get start thinking as long as we have these mountain gorillas, there will be tourists, there will be some port and if these mountain gorillas die, probably the interest of the world in Rwanda will be quite zero, so this message I think has to be uh, brought over.
1: And what, what we also did, we uh, taught our children about the mountain gorillas when they were in a certain age uh, of 14, they were allowed to come with us to the mountain gorillas. Uh, and and in school they had then projects and uh, taught our their uh, colleagues at school uh, they have a the treasure there they have the mountain gorillas they have to protect them so we gave this further on to the next generation and the kids they are now at university and have children on their own so they are now ambassadors of us so it's not only us the white people who bring it to them so they also support now their own country and it was so nice when we asked them what do you want to be they said I want to be a travel agency I want to be a vet like you I want to be a ranger so they we pushed them in the right direction and they followed it up up also in their uh, village so I think we started a little stone's throw and they go on
0: but I think that it's so important with all these conservation projects that the local community also benefits from it. If there's no benefit for the local community, I mean, we we all know trekking permits now in areas with mountain gorillas are very very expensive, and I think, I, as uh, 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 it, 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 well as this. Yeah, that's not uh, that's not a bad thing. I think. So if it's uh, uh, it's not something you uh, uh, you just do um, uh, three times, four times a year um, uh, to lay on a beach or something like that. This is a very, very, very special thing in your life if you if you have the fortune sort of to be in the in the rainforest or in the cloud yeah. forest sort of with these amazing animals. So, so I think it is, if it's a trip of a lifetime, there is no doubt about it, but the important thing is that also local people get employed because of that and that the local communities see a benefit,
2: otherwise it, we will lose it forever. Mm. Yeah, I think one of the nicest stories, we always had the same driver, we, came, we flew to Rwanda about four or five times a year to take care of, of, of everything. And we always had the same driver. And after two years, our driver was a very big football soccer fan of Manchester United. Uh, and they always celebrated uh, for football games. And at that time, they also um, win the, the cup. And he told us that they had a big celebration and everybody got drunk and lots of fun. And after two years, he told us, Manchester won something again. And he told us, okay, because he watched us dealing with the people and doing these things. Uh, He told his friends um, that instead of making a big party and get drunk, uh, they collect all this money and give it to another orphanage uh, near uh, the city of Rwanda. Uh, Because he said, if the white people, the foreigners, come to Rwanda and help the people, uh, it should be also normal that the Rwandese people, uh, instead of getting drunk, help the uh, orphans. And we thought, I mean, this was one of the best ways we could transform our our message to the to the local people.
0: Mm-hmm. Brilliant, great!
2: Thank you so much
0: for this interview, Claudia and Manfred. Um, if Lots of fun. <laughs> if uh, uh, anybody um, would like to comment on this episode of the Caravat Chat, or if you have ideas for future episodes of the Caravat Chat, please email us on vetchat at fikava.org or leave us a message on one of our social media outlets once again thank you very much for watching or for listening to our podcast and i'm looking forward to seeing you soon again for another episode of fikava vetchat
1: bye